Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. It's a Latin word that goes all the way back to ancient Rome called tripolium. And a tripolium was a torture device made of three stakes. Just like a cross, only instead of being two pieces, it was three. Tri, meaning three, and polyum is the stakes. It was a torture device. That's what the Romans thought of work. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Have you ever wondered when work became this magical thing of value and virtue within society? When did human beings decide that trading hours for dollars actually started sounding like a good idea? All of you history buffs out there will love this episode. It's the first of a two-part series on the history of work and the events throughout time that led us to where we are now. We'll discuss these disturbing etymology of the word work, how it relates to things like the pyramids, religion, slavery, and you'll get to recall some of the Greek and Roman history you learned that you never thought you'd use. This episode is from a recent weekly member webcast. For more information about the many benefits of clear and open membership and how to get the help you need in conversations just like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Let's dive in. And uh, I want to start with a preamble about the nature of work and how we relate to work. Because I'd, I'd said in the Facebook group that we would talk about um, r- removing some of the rocks on your self-organization geyser uh, and, and maybe give you guys some coaching on that. But just in the last day or two, I, I've come to a realization that there may be something upstream of that that's getting in people's way. So I want to talk about that. And, and maybe we'll get to the other thing too. We'll see. So this is a great example of where... We learned a lot, a lot of this history will sound familiar to you. If you studied history, well, we all studied history, but if you study anthropology, this, this may be particularly interesting to you because I've been getting back in touch with my anthropological study roots. I studied a lot of anthro in, in college and uh, I'm working on the next course, which is tentatively called Open to Excellence. And it's a lot about how to be professional in context. You know, we think of professional development in terms of developing more skill in the position you have in content, you know, the, the skills and abilities that your job requires. But what does it mean to be a better professional in context, the qualities that apply to all professionals? And that goes right up to like, what is work and how should we relate to it? So I started digging into this subject historically because I'd heard some things here and there about uh, the etymology of the word work and bits and pieces of history here and there that seemed remarkable. And I started to look into it. Do you guys know for how long we as in, in the, in the quote unquote civilized world, we as a species have seen hard work as a virtue. We have this idea, especially in in the American culture, that working hard and doing a good job is a good thing. Do you know how old that is? Any guesses? How far back in history do you think that idea goes? 
because we hold it as like, oh, hard work, you know, the satisfaction of a job well done. It's, it seems like it's been there forever. How old do you think that is? I would say since the 80s, maybe. <laughs> That's it? Awesome. I love your cynical and uh, in some way accurate viewpoint. Since the 1980s, you mean? <laughs> it's a little older than that. I was hoping somebody would say, you know, oh, that's probably been around for thousands of years, but perhaps I, I gave too much away. Any other guesses? I mean, you could say in one way that like most people don't really live that way. So it sort of depends on how you slice it. So I get, I get what you mean. After all, before the 80s, we didn't have no pain, no gain, right? What do you know, Victor? You, were you, how old were you in the 80s? Yeah. <laughs> Goose egg. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it's like, I think about that a lot. Like what, what, what did fitness look like before they, you know, before the eighties, like a gym that was like this, you know, it was like the um, health clubs where they were places where boxers worked out. You know, that's where that came from. You know, like the really old, old gold gyms that like people like Arnold Schwarzenegger went to in, you know, around LA in the sixties uh, and seventies, those were, those were boxing places. And, and it wasn't there was no fitness thing and then no pain, no game came. And then they became more and more, you know, friendly looking and started to look more like convenience stores and less like warehouses. But there still are gyms that look like that, of course. Was it around the 1400s with the, uh, I keep thinking, Puritan work ethic? Jamie, that's correct. And you've got control of the board. That's good for 500. All and right. We- I'll take uh, <laughs> next question for eight, please, Alex. <laughs> nice, Jamie. It was a little later than that, but it was the, it was the, um, it was the Protestant Reformation of which later became um, the Protestants, if I'm forgetting this right, was the root of, uh, of the Puritans. Um, the Protestant Reformation in the beginning of the 16th century, um, Martin Luther and the 95 Thesis nailing the thing on the door of, in uh, 1509 or so. So what was going on then was the, the Protestant Reformation in Europe was rebelling against the abuses of power of uh, the Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic control of Europe. In other words, there was this huge stratification in Europe where basically the Catholic Church was, you know, it was a theocracy. They were, they were running the show and, um, and selling absolution and making tons of money. And uh, it was incredibly corrupt. Uh, clerical positions were being bought and sold and um, people were not happy about that. So people like uh, Martin Luther and others, names I can't remember, they stepped in and said, this is no good. And they, and into, to de-hierarchicalize the, the Catholic position, they presented a new way of looking at things. It included a whole new set of ethics that pushed against this idea that I'll talk more about, this idea that there's a, there's a social strata that is you're somehow born into, or, you know, there's a certain kind of privilege because the leaders of the Catholic church there felt like their privilege, privilege, their aristocracy was God given. That was basically how they held it. They had a special connection to God. And so they had the power to give you absolution and they should be able to charge you whatever money they want for that and put it in their pocket. That's what was going on. Right. So that was a very steep hierarchy. And that had been going on for how long? Not just in the Catholic context, but that, just that basic idea that there's a certain group of people that are inherently better than these other groups of people 
therefore have the right to boss them around. How long do you think that had been going on? All of history. All of it. All of history. And we only know back to recorded history, which goes, depending on the area, but we know from um, uh, ancient Egypt, you know, the earliest uh, records are around 3000 BCE there. And we know that the pyramids were built. Uh, recent evidence in the last 20 years shows that the pyramids were not, contrary to popular belief, built by slaves. Uh, they were built by very, very dedicated people. They were paid for it, but, you know, it was still a ton of work. Do you know what the pyramids were built for? What each one of the three great pyramids was? We're having a fun Jeopardy day, right? See, the reason we all forget this is because when we learned it, there was no reason to learn it. But I promise there's a point to all of this. You're going to remember it this time. <laughs> uh, weren't they built so that the wealthy people could take all of their stuff with them when they died? That's correct. How many wealthy people per pyramid? One. And their pets went with them. <laughs> yes. One. Each pyramid took like 20, 25 years to build. Like 10,000 people over 20 years. They, they estimate the current construction cost is something like $5 billion for one person, for a pharaoh. So there, the three great pyramids were built over 80 years. And they took about 20, 25 years each and the labor of 10,000 people. So what does that tell you? The, the pharaohs were regarded as they weren't quite gods. It's kind of fuzzy what they were. But they weren't normal people either. They were kind of regarded as demigods. And their right to rule came from their godlikeness. And that's the earliest history we have. But it stands to reason, recorded history, that prior to that, it goes even further back. Who remembers the beginning of the Neolithic era? That's when we started to farm. That's the, the transition from the Paleolithic, the hunter-gatherer era, to the Neolithic era where we started to farm and domesticate animals. Does anybody remember when that happened? Sorry, was it about 5,000 years ago? No, further. 10? <laughs> as, as Alex Trebek would say, no, I'm sorry. You don't get two guesses on Jeffrey. <laughs> no, you don't. It's further. It goes yeah. to 10,000 BC. That's um, about 12,000 years ago. Oh, that was okay. where that transition started to happen. So, in other words, in a hunter-gatherer society... It's really interesting stuff. You're going to see this is all going to come together. In a hunter-gatherer society, people go around and they get, they, they get what they kill or gather what they eat every day. And they're not storing a lot of food and they're, they're moving around a lot, right? So somewhere in there, someone had this idea of like, why are we walking around all the time and like hunting? And why don't we just, you know, plant some of these plants here and domesticate some of these animals here? And then we could just stay put and we don't have to walk around all the time because this walking around is like tiring and it's inconvenient. And, and that was the beginning of the Neolithic era. It happened over thousands of years, slowly but surely, you know. So then what happened was everybody started gathering in the same place. So what did you suspect happens when you start having a denser population of people in one place? Some stuff happened that never happened before conflict right because when you got people hanging out now there are farms now right so people got a bunch of farms and they got to stay near their farms because the farms need to be taken care of and there's animals to take care of and all that and so that's the formation of the first towns and cities the farms would be on the outskirts 
and then people would gather in, in towns. And then you have a denser population than you ever had before. And, you know, no real accepted moral code on, on how people should treat each other. So it's bad stuff started to happen because, you know, even as, as late as uh, during the time of Muhammad, that's sixth uh, century AD. In sixth century AD, uh, what's now Saudi Arabia, being a raider, a thief, that was like an accepted profession then. It's like, what do you do? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm a farmer. Uh-huh. And what do you do? I'm a raider. Oh, what's that like? Well, we hang out in, in the desert. And when people are crossing the desert, we just take their stuff. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. How is that working for you? Like, that's, that was an accepted thing. And, in, you know, and that was one of the latest civilizations to, um, to do that. But that had been going on for a long time. It was like there was no moral code. It was, there was nothing wrong with that. First written code that we know of in, in history of the world. Anybody know what that was? For This is a tough one. 800 points. The code of... It's an ancient Babylon. A uh, receipt for trade for transactions? No, I mean a moral code. That, that You oh, may be no. right, but I mean a, like a legal code, a written legal code. No. Earliest one that we know of. I don't know. It was the code of Hammurabi in about 1760 BC. But prior to that, we don't know that there's any real written code. So it means for thousands of years, people just kind of were making up as they go along. This is, I mean, when you think about really what was it like then? What was it like? Theft, murder, worse. And there was no consequences, right? So in the earliest civilizations, people started to see, well, this is no good. I don't want to invest all this time and effort into my farm and then have someone just walk in and take my animals. That's not cool. We need rules. So they started to create rules. And they weren't written down until 1700 BC that we know of, but certainly they were probably made before that. And maybe some written down, we don't know. But if you have rules, you need something else. What do you need for those rules to have any kind of impact? Authority. Got to have someone to enforce the rules. And who's going to do that? Who's going to do that? And remember, this is a time where people are devoutly polytheistic in most of the world. There's no such thing as agnosticism or atheism then. Everybody is deeply, deeply religious in a polytheistic way. So what makes the most sense is the people who would claim that kind of authority would be the same kind of people who claimed authority all the way through the uh, 16th century. People who claimed some kind of connection to the divine according to the religious beliefs of the time. And, you know, maybe they had some tricks or things that they could do that would justify that. But there was no, you know, we're not talking about democracy. There's no recognition of leadership skills. There's no people getting up and saying, well, I have a lot of experience. You know, I ran this civilization over here. No, it was just like, well, I think I should get to enforce things because I'm connected to the gods in this special way. And behold, you know, I can make fire come out of my hand or whatever, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, you're the boss. And certainly there were some very well-meaning people in there as well. But that would be the standard for ruling from the earliest prehistory, prehistorical civilizations in 10,000 BCE, all the way to the Protestant Reformation, and then lots of fighting 
uh, in during the Renaissance about that because Protestants were pushing back against the Catholics, and the of course the the people who were in power they didn't like the Protestant Reformation so much. And that was when uh, King James I in Scotland in uh, 1600s uh, coined the term the divine right of kings. But the divine right of kings was not a new idea. It was just a new set of language. So let's take this in for a moment. What we're saying is for all but the last few hundred years, 12,000 years of Neolithic modern civilization, the way it's worked is you're in the aristocracy or you're a leader because of your connection to the divine. And if you're not in that club, guess what your lot is? Guess what you do? You work. You know, we think of uh, Plato and, and Aristotle and, and uh, other uh, Greek thinkers as being these like incredibly egalitarian champions of, uh, of democracy. And it's true that we, we owe the creation of democracy or the idea of, of democracy to, to Plato, I believe, and, and uh, Aristotle a little bit less so. Do you know how long a democracy ran and where it actually ran? First of all, it wasn't in all of Greece. It was in one place. It was in Athens. Do you know how long that ran there? We have this idea. It's like, well, Greece it was the first democracy and it ran harmoniously as such for you know, the entire run of the civilization. No, it's 200 years. Three generations, you know, maybe in that people didn't live so long then, so maybe it was four or five generations. A couple of generations they tried it. Guess what happened? Devolved into an aristocracy. Sound familiar? It's kind of what's happening in our country. <laughs> 200 years in one city they tried it. And, the, and part of Plato's teaching was there were, you, you were born to rule. You know, there are certain people who were best suited to rule and certain people who were, you know, best suited to things like build roads and lots of things in between. And if you were someone who was best suited to rule, this is the philosopher King idea. If you read the Republic, then you needed a lot of leisure time because ruling is, you know, it requires a, a clear head. And I would agree, but that I wouldn't agree with, that means you need to not be working a whole lot. Right. This was the basis of their civilization. Well, rulers, they need have a free mind and they need a lot of leisure time and they can't be bothered with a lot of work. That's for slaves to do. Slaves and serfs. Because, newsflash, Greeks had slaves. In fact, slavery didn't even begun to be talked about as being a bad idea until end of the 18th century, early 1800s. Because, of course, slavery had been going on forever. When did slavery start? In the Neolithic era. Because for a hunter-gatherer, slave, slavery doesn't make economic sense. Having someone doing stuff for you, that person is just another mouth to feed. And, and you've got to, you're, you're eating what you kill and, and eating what you collect every day. So slavery doesn't make sense. Besides, the only thing you're really doing is hunting and gathering, and then the rest of the time you're just living. Right? That's what your life is. So you can get your own food. You don't need any help. You don't have a farm. You don't have animals to take care of, right? But as soon as you've got a farm and all sorts of stuff to take care of, and there's a surplus of food because you've got lots of people trading and stuff and farming, you know, agriculture is way more efficient in terms of producing more food per unit effort 
right? So there became a surplus of food. Once there was a surplus of food, people were like, hmm, this is a lot of work taking care of this farm. And food's not so scarce, not so expensive. Then slavery started to make sense. That's where it came from. And this is where racism comes from. Because for slavery to make sense, you got to somehow justify it. So back then, how do you justify slavery? The, the way work worked then was work was a bad thing. It was not something you wanted to do. So rather than doing it, it would make a whole lot more sense to just conquer another culture and get them to do your work for you. Because this work ethic didn't exist. Work was bad. ¿Quién habla español? Un poquito, sí. Muy bien. ¿Conoces trabajo? The word in Spanish for work, trabajo. In Portuguese, it's trabajo. And in French, it's travail. They all come from the same Latin root. Anybody know what it is? It's a, it's a Latin word that goes all the way back to ancient Rome called trapalium. And a trapalium was a torture device made of three stakes. It's just like a cross, only instead of being two pieces, it was three. Tri, meaning three, and polyum is the stakes. It was a torture device. That's what the Romans thought of work. Take this in for a second. They thought work was torture. So, of course, it makes sense. The Roman Empire just kept expanding, expanding, expanding. What were they doing? They were acquiring labor. This is what Jesus was speaking out against, in, in part. He was, he was part of a conquered people, and they were a lower class. And this was normal. It wasn't just Rome that did it. Everybody did this. Everybody did this. You enslaved other people. Either they were outright slaves or they were in some kind of caste or class system where they couldn't move like in India or um, the serfdom in Greece. But there was always this kind of social strata. There's the people who are special in some way, usually connected to the divine. And then there's everyone else and you're sentenced to work for your life and work is bad. That's the vast majority, all but the last couple hundred years Last couple hundred years, that started to change. But for 12,000 years, that's what it's been. So why am I giving you this anthropology and history lesson? Why is this important? How does this relate to you now, to us now? Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.